2: Hello and welcome to 1865, the Nottingham Forest Podcast, and to December's Forest Ramble. I'm your host, Rich Ferraro, and in today's post-World Cup podcast, we will discuss Forest players at the World Cup. We'll think about the performances and results of the Reds in the recent friendly matches. And we'll also ask Gustavo Scarpa, is he the real deal? We're going to preview the second half of the season. We'll have our regular sketch from Jeremy Davis. We'll hear a little bit from you, the fans. And we'll also have a game of Guess That Red. All in this episode of 1865, the podcast whose pipes aren't frozen anymore. Now, let's say hello to today's panel. And we're going to ask them which Forest player they think has played best at the World Cup. So hello to Adam.
4: Hello, you're all right. Um, I think I'm glad that I got to go first on this one. Uh, Remo Freuler, I think is the obvious answer for me.
2: Okay, yeah, fair enough. And we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, Welcome to the podcast uh, for the first time in real life, Callum Castell. Hi,
1: hi. How you doing? Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm going to have to agree with that as well. I think um, I think by some fine margin it was Froiler as well. We went furthest and scored a winning goal to get him to, to the next stage of the knockouts. Um, and the Welsh boys weren't great, and Coyote got injured, so <laughs> it was Froiler for me.
2: Okay, and uh, maybe uh, with the with a bit of a. Um... Uh, a bit of a bomb steer on this one. Hello, Stephen Topless.
0: <laughs> Hello. Yeah, hard to argue with Remo Freuler having uh, the most impact. But if you want to talk in terms of the player who had the most impact with an opposition player, that would be Wayne Hennessy, who nearly took off the head of an Iranian forward in Wales defeat in their second group game and was promptly sent off. It was uh, Schumacher-esque, wasn't it, Stephen? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's one way to leave your mark on the World Cup, isn't it? So that's uh, <laughs> Wayne just leaving a bit of something there for us all to uh, to remember.
2: And uh, bearing in mind that his next contribution in a professional football in um, environment will be to play at Old Trafford in uh, yeah. in about a week's time. So uh, let's see how that goes. Um, so we'll return to that topic of Forest players at the World Cup a little bit later. But first, I want to turn to you, Callum. So as I said, you're, um, you've been providing news roundups for us throughout the season, but you're making your your proper debut on the pod. Um, and I asked you to um, give us a little summary of, of how Forest have done, the, the remaining players have done in the friendlies while the World Cup's been going on. So over to you.
1: Yeah, so um, it's it's been about minutes in the legs mainly, but... The uh, the first few games were all losses uh, by one goal margin, but started off with a two one loss to Stoke in Loughborough, with Gibbs White giving Forest the lead with a good goal before half time. But then uh, Steve Cube changed the whole starting eleven at half time, and Forest went on to lose um, two one. it was a game that I don't think anyone was able to watch, but we were given a pretty much down low from the club. Um, was a three two loss. Went into half time with the lead again. Um, um, I think Scarpa put his kind of name and his stamp on that game. I think it was a corner that was headed in by an Atromitos player and then a Scarpa cross that was headed in by Yates. But again, nine changes at halftime, so it was all about minutes in the legs. Um, Olympiacos, one-nil loss. Um, Kasimi scored for Olympiacos in the first half. 19 players appeared for Forest on the day, so again, all about minutes in the legs. And then... Valencia, we finally won 2-1, so it wasn't about minutes in the legs. It was about Aroni getting on the score sheet, Dennis getting on the score sheet, Scarpa with his left foot and his assist. Um, and it was a much nicer way to kind of end the friendlies that it was all about minutes in the legs and then ended up just ultimately making us feel like we could, uh, we could win the league again. So it was uh, all in all, it was a couple of losses, but very important to get those minutes in
2: Mm, Yeah, Uh, thank you, Callum. Um, And as you said, I mean, the main thing is just so that the players can do something which is more than just kind of training ground runs and exercises. It's trying to put a little bit of kind of real world um, experience in there. And also, I think, working on the togetherness of the players. Uh, One of the things that we've talked about before is, of course, that uh, really a lot of Forest players didn't get a pre-season with the club. So this is a chance for some of those. And I guess we're thinking about the likes of of, of Lingard and, and Ren and Loddy and so on, for example, who you can see that they've got bet They've only really um, got into gear uh, right towards uh, before the World Cup break actually took place. So it shows that actually having a pre-season can be really important. And, Stephen, just on on that topic of, um, you know, getting, you know, getting that pre-season type of vibe going. um, The thing with playing pre-season matches is also that sometimes, you know, you do get little odd things happening. And I never thought I'd see the name Pajtim Kasami again. Did you?
0: (laughs) No, that was a surprise and a half, wasn't it? I almost... um half-expected Bukalakis to then follow up with a goal himself after (laughs) Kasami scored that header. It was a nice header, to be fair. I don't think he ever looked like doing anything of that note in a Forest shirt, but another example of a player who came through the club and then ended up at Olympiacos and seems to have done all right for himself there, actually. So, yeah, that was a, a blast from the past and a bit of a reminder of where we've come from over the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, it's, um. I've actually been asked to write a piece for The Observer. It's going to come out uh, at New Year's, which is a kind of a half-time report, I suppose, for Premier League clubs. And one of the things that they asked was, you know, who's who's been the worst signings? Now, I'm not going to give away who I've chosen as my worst Forest signings. But the point, one of the points I did make was that... Um, really, it's not always the player's fault, is it? Sometimes Forest have just kind of signed a player, just assuming that you sign a player and then that's that's it. But um, uh, I think Kasami's a good example of that. You know, they signed him on this loan without any kind of real rhyme or reason, and then it didn't work out. And there's only so much blame you can attach to the player in that instance. But on the topic of players, we have got a new man who... Um, Callum mentioned there, and uh, Adam, I'm just going to come to you, because uh, I think it's fair to say that as a fan base, we've got something to be excited about with uh, the addition of Gustavo Scarpa, haven't we?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't want to be the person that sort of rains on everyone's parade a little bit, but I'm being very apprehensive of him. Mm -hmm. Like, look, in Brazil, he's done brilliantly well, and he's clearly got a lot of ability, um, I'm not. I would never question that. And from the games that we've seen in the Valencia game, especially, like he looked very good on the ball. But the Premier League is very, very different to Brazil, right? It, it, it it's hard to have a real parameter for how good he's going to be in England. Yet he's definitely got the right attitude. He's definitely very likable, um, and I think that's one thing that a lot of Forest fans have had so far that he's incredibly likable. But I think that we have to be kind of quietly optimistic maybe and kind of just sort of don't put too much pressure on him coming in and being, because a lot of people have said he's going to be our Ericsson and stuff um, that Brentford had, which would be great and he definitely could be. It just depends how good he actually is and we're not going to find that out really until he starts playing Premier League matches, but from what we've seen so far, he does look like a really good player and the awards that he's won in Brazil have been won by players like Neymar, Ronaldinho, that sort of thing. I kind of don't the only thing that sort of makes me wonder is that he wasn't in the Brazil squad for the World Cup. Um, you would have thought if you, like winning those awards in Brazil to be the best player in Brazil, maybe he would have been in the Brazil squad. But I think only time will tell. But I think we can be a little bit excited. But we've had a lot of players over the years, like not naming names, but João Carvalho, that come in with a big reputation, really good, loads of ability, and it just doesn't work. So I'm, I'm being quietly optimistic, if anything.
2: OK, we'll come back to some of those things there that you've mentioned, Adam. So thank you for that. In the meantime, uh, Scarpa was having a chat with uh, the BBC's Charlie Slater. Let's just hear a little snippet of what he had to say. What can the
1: Nottingham Forest fans expect to see from you? What they could can expect? Exactly. Uh,
0: hard-working. Uh, I would try to score some goals, uh,
2: give some assists. But uh, the hard-working, for sure. Okay, so callum, um are you excited by Scarpa?
1: Yeah, I've fallen into the trap I'm not really um I'm not really thinking about any negatives at the moment i I, <laughs> I can't I, like he's I don't feel like he's gonna feel it sounds strange because they all will, but I don't feel like he's that kind of character that'll feel too much pressure he seems he seems to know what he's about. Like, it's not like we've just bought a a young player that's coming through. We've bought, he's quite experienced. um, And like, like Adam says, he's won, he's won awards in Brazil that players like Kaka, Ronaldinho, um, Robinho, players like that have won towards the end of their career as well. Um, And his, his left foot looks exciting. We've been struggling a little bit for set pieces. I know that, um, Steve Cooper's tried to kind of implement Gibbs White on set pieces for everything, but Scarpa's his corners look a lot better. He, he seems to, he just seems to be a lot more comfortable. And I don't think he's the kind of player that we're gonna just try and put straight into the starting lineup. I think he'll just kind of appear a little bit off the bench, and then it's just competition for Gibbs White and Lingard and bits like that Um and I've had people Brazil fans in my replies on Twitter saying that um it was a disgrace that he wasn't in the Brazil squad and that's when you look at Brazil's bench over the World Cup they had uh, Anthony uh, Martinelli Gabriel Jesus Pedro Rodrigo they had Vinnie Jr Neymar and Charleston and Rafinha on the pitch so they are attacking like forces that Brazil had in the world cup was insane and there was a lot of replies from brazil fans furious with the manager that they didn't include him so i know that he's he's going to look amazing in that brazilian league but he's also looked good in the friendlies as well so it's not like he's come into the friendlies and and disappeared a little bit and Valencia, I don't know. they're kind of equal to some Premier League clubs. So we'll have to see. It is, it is about just waiting and seeing, but I don't think it's one of them where we're all relying on him. I think he's just going to get led into the club and into the, into the starting lineup and to see what he's got, really. He's a free transfer.
2: Mm, yeah, so I think, um, you know, Adam made the kind of... the. the made the reference to Carvalho, if not the comparison. Um, and I guess, Callum, what we could say is that it's it's a very different type of signing because with Carvalho, we spent a lot of money on someone who was unproven and we signed on the basis of potential. Whereas with Scarpa, firstly, it's a free transfer. Secondly, he's taking a pay cut from what he was earning in Brazil, apparently. And it's because he wants to play in the Premier League. So, So those things hopefully are are good signs, aren't they, in terms of Scarpa could be a player who could do a job, you know, not necessarily be the main man. If he is, then happy days, but but could be somebody who is a good squad member.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's going to be about bringing him off the bench at first and seeing what he can bring to the game, because it feels like we've got loads of attackers, but it feels like we've got none at some points coming off to create, because... That's the kind of thing that we're missing at points. I think Steve Cooper is still trying to figure out his best front three. It keeps going from Gibbs White, Lingard, Johnson to putting a striker in. And you know that we kind of know that the striker maybe works a bit better, but I think he wants those three because he knows they're his best players in that position so it's it's one of them where we, he's going to be experimenting with Scarpa and he's he's bought the Rubik's Cube and already we've got Yates and doing it on the way back from Valencia <laughs> uh, he's he's gonna be um he's gonna be a character he's got skateboarded out with Renan Lodi he's also got like I think Renan um, Lodi was a little bit worried about being brought into a team where he didn't know too many people and the language and all that kind of stuff. And he was obviously coming to to Forest to pick his reputation back up and get those minutes in. And now he's got someone that speaks his language and he's, he's, they seem to be really good friends. So, I mean, it could just be like, like you say, just for the squad, for on a free transfer and he's taking a big paper. It could be a genius move just in that sort of sense as well as the football. So it is, it is exciting. I'm quite excited. I'm happy for it.
2: Thank you, Callum. Um, Stephen, I'll come to you in a second, but Adam, uh, before I do, just uh, one of the, I suppose, the queries is, you know, how do we fit a player like Scarpa when we've already got two or three number 10s jostling for position in a team that doesn't always play with number 10s?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, it is difficult. Um, if you i have looked down his, um, you know, you can see on, I think it's Transfer and a couple of other websites, you can see what positions they've played and that sort of stuff. And he has played as an eight as well. So, there is the potential that, you know, he could play in the three in the midfield rather than the attacking three, depending on who you play in and depending on what sort of idea you're going for. And especially, off, you know, like Callum said, in like the 60th minute or something, you, you're going for the game. Maybe he comes on in the three in midfield rather than the front three. Um, but he's got a lot about his game. And I think that, you know, when you see him and stuff, it's, he said himself in interviews that defensively he is also, he he thinks he is a good like defensive player as well. So it's not just going forward, and it, as much as that's where his ability lies, you see players like Kevin De Bruyne play in a cent like a central midfield rather than a ten roll because when they get on the ball, they've got the ability to play out wide to the to the the wingers or to go through to the middle. So I think that you could actually utilise his skill set in two ways. You could play him in the front three and just say to him, "Look, go for it. That's what you're doing. You're going. You're going attacking." You know, you want to score as a goal, get as an assist, or you could play him in the midfield and say to him, look, when the time is right, push a bit forward. But you usually like your defensiveness as well. So I think he I think he fits in the midfield or the attack. And I think that makes him a bit more versatile. Um, I don't think it's impossible that we see a front three of, you know, like Lingard, Johnson and Gibbs White and then Scarper in the midfield. It just depends how well he adapts the defensive side of things in England.
2: Mm, okay, yeah, that's 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 quite interesting there. I think, um, I mean, one of the things that we've heard um, is that you know don't get fooled by the fact he's a Brazilian. He's not he's not a Ronaldinho or a Neymar. He's somebody who is. You know, as as we heard in that clip, he bases his game on hard work. He wants to kind of do the right thing by the team. But he also happens to have a pile driver left foot. He's able to hit really good crosses and shots so he can create that way. Um, Stephen, just to come to you... um, So we've heard about the Rubik's Cube. We've heard about the skateboarding. Apparently he's... um, So as well as having this kind of insane number, like over a million Instagram followers and having that real character about him, but he's also somebody who's into like classical literature. um, He's 28, 29 years old. One of the things he mentioned when he signed is, uh, you know, he... In terms of the kind of character he is, he knows he's a character, but also he wants to, you know, be a good representative. He wants to be spending time not only with his teammates, but he mentioned his family and his wife. So that sounds like somebody who's really kind of quite self-aware and quite grounded and and therefore is probably thinking, you know what, I'm not necessarily, you know, it's not just necessarily that I'm going to jump straight in and and be the main character here. Yeah,
0: he sounds like somebody who is quite grounded and, and down to earth. And, and with his age as well at 28, he's, he's not coming over to English football as a youngster with who's, who's perhaps a bit inexperienced. And I think we've seen that with some signings before at forest, he comes over as a 20. You're talking about Carvalho again, aren't you? I I didn't want to say it, but you know, the, uh, he shall not be named and all that. Um, but no, it, he's coming over with plenty of experience under his belt. And with if you look at his stats, his track record in terms of goals and assists, particularly in the last three or four seasons, it's really good. And it's promising. And if he can bring that into the Premier League, that kind of form, then he could be a real asset for us. And I think he's he looks like he'll be a good character in the dressing room. He already looks like he's adapting to life in England and really throwing himself into things by skateboarding down Columbus street for one. And uh, very, he seems very um, up to, up to speed with kind of culture and speaks very good English as well, as we hear from his interviews. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he settles in and what he can offer us. I don't expect him to be playing 90 minutes week in week out, certainly not straight away. So he could be a, a a really good asset and a bit of a wild card from our point of view. As as we get back into the regular season, he could offer us something that nobody else in the squad can.
2: Yeah, and what I'm really intrigued about is that he, you know he's he seems quite humble about his abilities. He's talking about hard work first. Um, I'm just going to move on to one of those other number tens. So um, just coming back to you, Adam. Uh, Jesse Lingard. Now, there, there's some speculation that Scarpa might have been signed as the kind of long term replacement uh, for, for Lingard, who's only on this one year contract. Um, now, we know that Jesse's the time to talk about his mental health through that documentary on uh, on Channel 4. Um, he's also recently acknowledged that he didn't do enough since joining Forrest to earn his World Cup place. And the quote here is, I needed to kick on as soon as I signed here, which I didn't. Understandably, that's why you don't get picked. But he did also say that you know he he has hopes that he can get an England recall if if things pick up. So so Adam, as as our main jailings uh, cheerleader, um, we saw him starting to play with a smile on his face again just before the break. Do you think that he can really have an impact on Forest season once we resume?
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think from if you've watched the documentary and if you've seen some of his stuff on Instagram and Twitter that sort of thing. It he, he clearly does like, you know, being here. He clearly likes the you know, being a forest. Um and I think that Scarpa and him can play together rather than saying, Oh, he has to come in to replace Lingard when Lingard leaves, because if we stay up, I don't think Lingard does leave.
2: Mm. And just in terms of sheer ability and uh, an ability to, to help the help the team transition as well. If you've got a team which has got Scarpa, Lingard and Gibbs White, that should be yeah, you know, that should be frightening for for opposition to teams, shouldn't it, Adam?
4: Oh, 100%. And I think the thing is, like uh, Callum mentioned, if you if you don't start one of them, right, so if, if one, one of them doesn't start, bringing them off the bench, even at nil-nil or 1-1, just to go and win you the game and stuff, it gives a, a tied defence something else to think about. And You know, any of those. But, I mean, I think you'd see Gibbs-White's going to start every game he's available, right? He's the youngest of them all. You know, he's Steve Cooper's, you know, probably favourite player in the squad. He loves Gibbs-White and, you know, we can all see why. So it's then going to be Johnson, Scarpa and Lingard if Scarpa is going to be playing in the front three. So it's a case then of, it, it gives Steve Cooper a selection dilemma, but it also gives teams more to think about off the bench. And, you know, big squads win your games in the Premier League sometimes. We've seen mm-hmm. that. You see a team like Man City or something, that, you know, the, like it's one all and stuff. and Then they then they can bring Mahrez, Grealish and, you know, Bernardo Silva. And if he doesn't start and then, And they've got Alvarez as well off the bench and stuff like having a bigger squad and having more options off the bench can win you games in this league. So it's only a good thing for us, really, isn't it? It's only a positive.
2: Uh, Let's move on to talk about the gaffer just briefly. Um, So uh, Steve Cooper was recently talking about the challenges of Premier League life. Everything is different. It's a lot quicker, more athletic. The speed of the game, the technique of the game, everything is at a much higher level. Don't get me wrong. We're really enjoying it. Um it's a great league to be part of and we're proud of it. Um Callum, uh, we're gonna come back to this a little bit later as well, but but Steve Cooper's just he's just great, isn't he? He's like what I love about the things that he says is that he doesn't just resort to hyperbole and cliche like we've seen with so many, particularly British Premier League managers. Um he's 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 in a class of his own in that respect, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he just gets it um big time. And what he's touched on there in two separate like occasions there is how important it is to us for just to be in the Premier League overall, like I weighed my whole life just to see us in the Premier League. And he, he got that as soon as he came to forest and he got us there, you could see as soon as it was the first thing that he said was that we belonged um, in the Premier League. And he like, he, he referenced something there that Thomas Frank touched on. You, I don't know if anyone saw it, but when Graham Potter and Thomas Frank were on the one uh, on the Amazon, um, for their game and he said that you get punished a lot more in this league um, and that's exactly what Cooper touched on there everything's different a lot quicker a lot more athletic Um a mistake in the championship that might not cost you anything could cost you a goal in the Premier League it's that simple because of the ability so he understands that he knows exactly what league he's in and he knows that he's he's not there's nothing to there's no way to mess around sort of thing like we, we've we've been on the end of some results against City and Arsenal so he already kind of knows in that aspect but he also understands just how important it is to be there anyway Um, and for me I don't know how it is for everyone else if we get relegated the main thing for me was that day at Wembley and getting there in the first place Um, and he gets that he he knows what it is and like you say he doesn't resort to cliches he just he just speaks as himself and I love I love to listen to him I love to just watch him Um, I think he's so insightful and I think he's I think he is a Premier League manager as well so I'm just really happy that we've still got him.
2: Well, as you love to listen to him, let's hear a bit more from Steve Cooper talking about his relationship with the fans. Um, when, when you care about something
3: so much, then when, when it goes through, a, uh, it's like a family, isn't it? When it goes through a difficult moment, that's when the, the care really shows. And, and for me, it's, like it's, it's, it's easy to be a manager in a good time. You know. I, I, I want the supporters to see, see the real me in tough moments, you know, because I think that's what a real leader is. But more importantly, I want them to see a team. represents that as well you know and um, it's not easy to be successful and you do need some some ups and downs to to become successful um, and you have to treat them both the same and um, that's what that's what we're trying to do if there has been some low moments, I only I, I care even more about it. You know, and I, I get even more motivated to to do well because that's that's how you feel when you when you really care about when something's really important to you. So, but I know the players are exactly the same. I know the supporters are the same. You know, all the staff are behind the scenes at the city ground as well. Is we're all in this
2: together, and um, we're massively motivated now. Stephen, um, I was talking to uh, an old friend of mine, so he's someone who I've known since childhood he's a United fan and I was trying to explain to him he doesn't live in Nottingham and I was trying to explain to him about exactly why we love Steve Cooper so much and I, and I did say it's like he's either I mean regular podcast listeners will have heard me say this before he's either the greatest confidence trickster of all time or he genuinely loves Forest. and and those words there I mean I wish I'd had that clip to play to my friend because it, he he gets it doesn't he?
0: yeah and ever since he came through the door, he's got it. He's just thrown himself into being forest manager. He understands it. he's connected with the fans and i I in my lifetime, I've never seen a forest manager have that connection with the club and everybody associated with the club. It's something quite special and it is it's hard to explain for people if. You're not a Forest fan, and you're only looking at it from the outside in. But when you hear the way he speaks about the club, you see the results that that happened after he took over, and the way that he galvanised the club in so many ways. It it, it's, it it was a like a night and day difference between Forest before Cooper and then Forest with Cooper, and. Long may it continue. I mean, he, he's just an incredible guy who's done a fantastic job and I hope he can he can stay for many more years to come and see the job through, keep us in the Premier League and who knows,
2: kick on from there. And uh, to the listeners, um, what I will say is we did discuss this in our, in our pre-World Cup podcast, we talked a lot about uh, about those kinds of themes and and Baz mentioned because obviously for people of a certain age and we have Brian Clough to compare to but but Baz also mentioned that you know Steve Cooper's connection to the club feels almost more pure, more pure even than Brian Clough. Um, so I will direct you listener to go back and listen to our November podcast if you hadn't already done so. Um, before we just go um, to do talk about other things, um I want to just take a few minutes to acknowledge that Forrest's fate this season, doesn't just depend upon how Cooper and our team do. Um, I'm definitely not going to mention the fact that we kick-started Leicester's season for them. Um, Now, we've had a few teams who've made managerial decisions in the last few weeks, including Wolves, Bournemouth and Southampton. Uh, Adam, do you see anything to fear from, from those other teams in and around the relegation zone slash bottom half of the table? Um.
4: As much as, obviously, our fate isn't just in our hands, I, I don't think we should be worrying about other teams and thinking, oh, you know, what what's Southampton going to do? What's Wolves going to do? I mean, I, I, I've said on the pod before, I mean, Southampton's managerial appointment made me really happy because I don't think Nathan Jones is a Premier League manager. So,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know, I, I think that that was fine. Um, similar sense to Bournemouth. I mean, I think I think, I think think Bournemouth will get, will, will be in the bottom three come the end of the season. I think Wolves... Managerial appointment is a very good one for them. Laporte is a really good manager, so I think that I, I really do think Wolves will kick on second half of the season. I don't think they'll be in the bottom three um, coming the end of the season. I think they will really kick on now. So, but look, when we play these teams, I mean play the teams that are around the bottom and stuff, that's they're the games that we need to get the points. We need to beat the teams around us. You know, that's that's always been the the key to staying up. You know, we've got Southampton soon. It doesn't. I, th- I think it's one of those. We'll have to temper expectations a little bit because when we come back, we've got Man United, then Chelsea. But I think we'll beat Chelsea at, at home but to be very bold Oof, on that. I think, I think, you heard I, it here first, lads. I think we will because I, I think that Chelsea are so up and down under Potter. I think that they're going to have our home form and we, you know, we beat Liverpool at home. I see Chelsea in a very similar vein to the, the way that I saw Liverpool at the time that it was probably not had time to play them. And that's... That's kind of how I feel about that game. So, But then we've got Southampton, and, the South, and we've got Leicester as well in January, although I don't think Leicester will get dragged into it. We've got Bournemouth in January. You know, We've got games around the teams around us. If we win those games, you, you're giving yourself a much better opportunity to, to stay in the league. So, no, I'm not I'm not scared around about the teams around us at all. Um, I think we've just got to keep doing what we're doing. We've got to keep winning
2: games. Callum, just very quickly, are there three worst teams in Forest in the Premier League this season?
1: yeah and to be honest with you i agree with everything adams just said um i, I i'm quite happy with bournemouth and southampton's appointments so i'm um, i'm putting them in the bottom three i think wolves will jump out they seem to be quite um keen in january with big players and and the management appointments really good um i think i think the teams that could be well there's two teams really everton and leeds i think could be worse mm-hmm. than forest um Everton are kind of funny because they've had like little performances from Awobi and Tarkowski and Cody are forming a bit of a, a partnership, but they only sit a point above us. And I'm not going to go into like bits and bobs and close losses and the Brentford game where we got shafted out of three points and all that kind of stuff, but... We're not we're not that far away from them mobility wise, and we gave them a good game at Goodison. Um, so it's like Adam said, we've got to beat the teams around us, and we've got those games coming up: Leeds and, and Bournemouth and Southampton and bits like that. So I do think there's three worst teams, but I do think we're um, I think we're going to be down there for most of the season. So it's going to be a bit of a hold your breath for most of the season. But it's what we came for. We didn't come to uh, to come and sit in the top half straight away or try and reach Europe. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be horrendous but it's going to be fun
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um we're not going to speculate about transfer windows today what we'll do is we'll talk more about transfers um once uh, everything resumes and when we get into january and so on um but um what we will do um is we'll give the panel a little bit of a break in a few minutes we'll talk about the reds players at the world cup and we'll have a game of guest at red but firstly it's time for this
5: the 1865 sketch by jeremy davis It's fair to say that Forest players have had mixed fortunes at this World Cup, with Remo Freuler scoring for Switzerland against Serbia, but then being on the wrong end of a six-goal thumping by Portugal. And of course, Wayne Hennessy showing Rishi Sunak that second choices can make an impression on the world stage before trying to leave the wrong sort of impression on Iranian striker Mehdi Taremi and getting sent off. Hopefully, it's the only time this season that he finishes bottom of the table with a team in red. The extended break over the World Cup for the rest of the squad was always earmarked as an invaluable window of opportunity for Steve Cooper to fashion the new signings into a team as united and committed as last season's promotion winners. But as well as the glamour friendlies against European giants Olympiacos and Valencia, another notable development has been the arrival of Forrest's 23rd signing of the new season in Brazilian Gustavo Scarpa. Now, I'm old enough to remember the days when Forrest signing a Brazilian attacker would have got pulses racing like when the club signed the first Italian to play in the Premier League in Andreas Silenzi. Even if he did turn out to be, to the great traditions of Italian forwards, what pineapple on pizza is to the traditions of Italian cuisine. But for all that the global nature of today's game means that Scarpa isn't even the first Brazilian to join the squad this season, one thing that does stand out about him are his hobbies, Rubik's cubes and skateboarding. It's a far cry from the stereotypical footballer's pastimes golf fast cars designer clothes and video games but he's not the first footballer with a notable hobby even at forest we've had plenty of players famous for their off the field activities from Stuart pierce's punk music and side hustle as an electrician des walkers love of motorbikes rumored to have been the only things faster than him and of course stan collymore's occasional visits to car parks to have sex with strangers Away from Nottingham, Cristiano Ronaldo apparently enjoys bingo, which helped him to learn English when he joined Manchester United. Appropriately enough, one of the joys of the World Cup was playing Ronaldo bingo whenever Portugal were on, and attempting to complete a full house of the superstar's anguished gesticulations and facial expressions whenever the team did something good without him. Speaking of South American imports with interesting hobbies, former Newcastle man Nobby Solano used to play the trumpet to unwind. He'd fit right in at Newcastle now, where blowing your own trumpet is the order of the day. And on the subject of former Newcastle players, despite famously never having watched a film, Michael Owen does have a more cerebral hobby to go with his horse racing. Apparently he enjoys jigsaws. I don't know if this is common among England strikers, but if it's a hobby that Harry Kane shares, that might go some way to explaining why, against France, he went to pieces in the box. Incidentally, am I the only one that finds the use of the phrase the last piece of the jigsaw in football somewhat jarring, as in how Alfie's boy Harland is the last piece of Pep's puzzle at City? The implication being that this last piece has been the hardest to find, but surely in real life the final piece of the puzzle is the easiest and most obvious to identify, is it's the only one left in the box? Another former Liverpool man with an interesting hobby is Joe Allen, noted for keeping hens, whom he rescues from getting slaughtered at the end of their commercial lives. Sadly, the Wales midfielder was unable to prevent Wayne Hennessy making like a headless chicken against Iran. Another day is here, and you're
2: ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check.
5: the Noctua Boys Podcast.
2: Thank you very much, Jeremy, and wishing you a very Merry Christmas. So welcome back, listener, to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. And just before we get going again, just a quick word to say thank you to the Sports Social Network, who host our podcast, and also to our partners, FanHub and Fandango Football app. Keep an eye on our social media. You can get all the links by visiting 1865.football. Now, we're going to return to On Pitch Matters, but also to the opinions of our listeners. Um, We've run a few polls and uh, let's have a look at the first couple of uh, of questions. So uh, the first question we asked, and we've touched upon this already, um, so we uh, wanted to ask which Forest regular do you think played best at the World Cup? And 81.5% of our voters uh, agreed with uh, our panellists in that Remo Freuler came came head and shoulders above the rest. Nico Williams got 13.4%. Cheku Kayate, who obviously unfortunately got injured, and we'll come back to that in a bit. He got 4.1%. And Paul Brennan Johnson just got the 1%. So... Uh, the second part of that question, though, was uh, something that I just wanted to throw in there. So, which forest fringe player or lone player do you think did well at the World Cup? And uh, we gave you the options of Huang Li Zhou, uh, Brandon Aguilera, Richie Larea and Ethan Horvath. And uh, Richie Larea, um really came head and shoulders above the rest again. So, 84.7% of the votes. Um, it was pretty even amongst the others uh juan got 6.2 he obviously started for career but he did have a bit of a missed a bit of a sitter um aguilera and horvath uh both in the four percent type region um stephen give us a little bit of a um a little bit of a, a rundown about that you know i think We've already established Freuler did well. He he scored a goal. He he went far in the tournament. Um, we, You've already mentioned Hennessy, whose tournament's ended in slight ignominy. Um, But Richie Lerre, he's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's a player who's just been very, very unfortunate that we got promoted ahead of schedule, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he was bought, I think, with the view to this season still being in the championship and Jed Spence moved on to another club. And... Of course, that didn't happen. We got promoted, and Lorea was surplus to requirements in the Premier League. But in the, those games for Canada, I mean, we were—I think—we were all impressed by the the way Canada approached their World Cup games, and were perhaps a bit unfortunate to exit the way they did. But even even to a point where people were calling for lorea to be recalled and brought back into the Forest team, which. I don't think is going to happen, um, but he he caught the eye definitely. And as for some of the other forest players at the tournament, Chet Kuyate, who who we've mentioned, he was stretched off in Senegal's opening game against the Netherlands. He collided with Frankie De Jong and was was taken off. The Senegal boss Alou Cisse thought it was a twisted ankle to begin with, and that thought that Kuyate would be okay, but it. It's now a torn hamstring, and there was some kind of misdiagnosis with the Senegal medical team, and certainly the forest medical staff aren't happy about that because that's Kiate out now for an extended period.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, Callum, let's uh, let's let's talk about that. I think. The Forest medical team probably have uh, probably have beef with the Senegal national medical team because firstly we lost to Moussa Niakate. He went on international duty. I think he played a few minutes, and then since then he's been on crutches and is you know still going to be out for some time. And now Chechu Kiate has has got this injury. He's had an operation. He's going to be out for at least a couple of months, maybe longer. Um, you can understand why the club's medical staff might have uh, might. Be a little bit annoyed with the Senegal FA, don't you?
1: Yeah, um, I thought the Neocarty decision was was off in itself because it seemed like he was just getting back to fitness. Um, and rather than being eased back in by his club, it seemed like he was going to be eased back in um by his national team. And I think he I think he switched to Senegalese um nationality in terms of football, um, because I think he had more of an opportunity and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was his first kind of time away with them all that kind of stuff. So he he was never going to turn that down. Um, He was really excited. I think he was trying to see if he could get um, into the World Cup as well. But it's obviously not helped his injury and and had him out for a longer period of time. He was training on his own with Senegal and bits like that um, after being on the bench. And then Koyate as well with with this, the mistreatment. I don't really know um, how they've managed to get both situations so wrong, but it's it's impacted us greatly because Nierkate was one for me that I thought was going to be like he's going to be our big player for the season um, in defence, and he did look good before he, before he was out. And Koyate as well, he's he's scored an important well, it wasn't an important goal, but he scored against Bournemouth in his uh, one of his first games, and then he's kind of led the midfield a lot more than I thought he would. Um, and now he's out for two months. So that's, that's another player down. So yeah, I can understand the frustrations big time. Um, we've not been helped out by Senegal at all.
2: Mm. And and of course, uh, you know, you mentioned about Carte going, I can't imagine that if you've, if you've got, I think it's a hamstring he's got, isn't it? Um, sitting on a plane for hours and hours uh, probably isn't going to do you much good, but also, Sometimes you've got to take decisions out of the hands of the players. If you're trying, to, if you've got the the carrot of playing at the World Cup dangled in front of you, you can't blame Musa for saying, "Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to give it a go." And it's it's been to his detriment because he's missing games, and it's been to Forest detriment because they're missing someone who they thought was going to be an important player. Um, just on that same topic, Adam um, Nico Williams uh, was one of two kind of concussion incidents. Um, both in England matches, we had the Iranian goalkeeper. Um, do we look? Do we agree with Alan Shearer that the concussion subs um, provision needs to change because no player is going to say, "I'm going to come off voluntarily" if they if they think there's a chance that they can continue. So they need to have temporary subs, don't they?
4: Oh yeah. At the same time, in in any sport, what what player is going to go? Oh, I'm playing at the, the on the world stage here for my nation, they're not going to come off. You you could break your leg and you'd still limp. You, you're not mm. going to want to come off. Like, it's, I completely agree with um, the fact that we need, you know, sort of temporary substitutions for concussions because concussions, not only obviously for, you know, for a lot of stuff that I do, obviously I the, the wrestling side of things, a concussion can be a very, very serious injury. I mean, it can, you don't want to mess with your brain. You know what I mean? You really don't. And I, I think that, more needs to be done to protect the players, certainly. Um, but I, I think injuries in general is difficult on international, isn't it? Because club managers notoriously don't really like international fixtures because there's nothing that can be done. You know, a, a club, you know, a club can't control the way a player is treated on international duty. They then come back injured. You do get compensation for it. So Forest are going to be compensated for Chiaretti being injured. It won't be a lot, but it'll be it'll be something. Um, but what compensation is it that one of our key players is now going to be missing for a couple of months? And at the age that he's at, his body's well, what thirty-one. Mm-hmm. A two-month injury, especially with your hamstring, could very easily turn into a three-month injury or a four-month injury, and it's it, it is frustrating as the as a club fan. Um, but I, I think it's hard to get nations to match clubs for medical teams and for facilities and that sort of things, especially some nations that they, they just don't have the funding to do that. So I actually think it would be a good idea that sometimes club personnel on, some some members of club personnel actually go to camp with players because I actually think that would then help the situation a little bit more. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's frustrating. The near-caste near one was frustrating as well. Um, but we've we just got to deal with it, I suppose, as the club fans now.
2: Yeah, um just uh, quickly, Stephen, um, Adam mentioned the payments that, that... That clubs get if the players get injured on international duty. Um, also worth pointing out that I think it's um each player who's on inter- who's on World Cup duty, the club gets I think a small fee, it's something like a thousand pound a day or something like that. So um we had five players, five first teamers who are who are out for the World Cup, and then we also had the five lo- people who've been loaned out. Um, question I've not been able to find the answer to is. Does the lone host club get the fit, get the payments or do forest, or is there a split somewhere? It's an interesting one. But but actually, in that sense, having five first teamers at the World Cup has probably worked out nicely for us. It's not enough to disrupt the squad. Um, as Baz said last time, in fact, Baz said before the World Cup, you know, if you've got a bunch of England players in your in your team, then unless they were to win the tournament, and of course we know that they didn't. They're going to come back disappointed. And of course, you know, we'll see how Harry Kane responds to his penalty um, heartache. But when you're away with teams like Senegal or Wales or, you know, you're going to come back going, what an amazing experience. And then on top of that, the club get a little bit of recompense for the fact that they've got some first team players who are away. So financially, as well as the kind of uh, emotionally, there's lots of good coming out of that, isn't there? It's nice
0: to have players on that world stage, and I think we've got players who've enjoyed being part of the World Cup, like Brennan Johnson, Nico Williams.
2: Maybe not Hennessy.
0: Not so much Hennessy. Uh, Certainly Freuler as well, who scored, and in doing so became the first Forest player to score at a World Cup since Pierre van Hooydonk in 1998.
2: That's one for you trivia fans. That's going to come up in a
0: Nottingham pub quiz sometime soon. So, you, you know, it's nice to have that, that bit of forest representation on the world stage it has been a while. I think if the only forest world cup player might've been Gonzalo Jara (laughs) for, for Chile, but I think he was on his way out of the club anyway. So, you know, it's, it's nice to have that, but yeah, it's, it's good for the, for the players that we're not, for example, having players who are going to be in the final and half of them are going to be crushed if they lose and, coming back on a downer, you know, our players have gone there with not very fancy teams on the whole, and have probably just enjoyed that experience. And as you say, it's not disrupted the squad too much. So Steve Cooper has been able to work with the vast majority of his squad through these mid season friendlies and these training sessions that, that have been going on for the last three or four weeks. So it's not disrupted us too much in that sense. And, Hopefully we can we can carry some of that into the Premier League season when it starts up. That we've got a settled squad that's had more time to work together. Steve Cooper's
2: had more time to work with the players, and hopefully we we reap the benefits of that. Mm. And it's effectively a pre-season with the squad, isn't it? Um, I think. Um... Also, I'm going back to the point you made though. I think Killian, Killian Mbappe did show that you can be very, very pleased just to get to the final. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, listener, then look it up on Google Images. Um, thank you, everyone. Um, now it's time for this 1865. Yes, that read. Yes, it's time for Guess That Red. Uh, We're going to hear up to five clues from Quizmaster Adam about a Reds player from the past. And we're going to have to try and work out who that player is. So, um, Callum, as this is your first time playing this, just to say that Adam's going to read out the clues. If you know who it is, just shout out your name and then we can have a guess. So, over to you, Adam.
4: Thank you very much. So... Um, The first clue for said player is that I played 55 times for my national team between
2: 1992 and 2001.
4: Rich. Go on. Ryan Roy. It is not.
5: It is not. You won bloody shooting.
4: In my time in my playing career, I won. Two trophies. Neither of them were with Forest. Stephen, go on.
0: Nikolayevich.
4: It is not. I'm afraid. Oh, Rich, go on.
2: Alfie Holland. No. Whoa! I'll carry on. Yep. So,
4: I started my footballing career with Sion in Switzerland. That might be the one.
2: It's on the tip of my tongue. Mm. Oh. Oh, that's a really annoying one. No, you got sea of blank faces here, Adam. Stephen.
4: Oh, oh, oh. oh, Marco Pascalo. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> well done, mate. And, uh,
2: and 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 just like Marco Pascalo, you're pulling that one back out of the bag.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Marco Pascalo, who of course uh, started Forest's um, championship campaign as the first choice goalkeeper. I can't remember which campaign that was. After.
4: The next clue was actually, um, I played for Forest the 97-98 season, playing That's, five times.
2: There we That's go. right. Was we'll So would that be um, under Platt, would it be? Um, uh, not yet, not yet. That would have been under Dave Harry Bassett, sorry. That was
0: it, and he'd have been replaced by Dave Besant. Yeah,
2: yeah. So when, you, you, get re- when you get replaced by a 40-year-old, I don't know what that tells you. <laughs> <laughs> But, but still he had a good career apart from at forest once two again trophies. once again a player who who signs for a club and then it's not necessarily his fault that it doesn't go very well let's go back to the polls just to round off today's podcast so our last two questions were where i know we're revisiting stuff that we've done before with you listener but where do you think forest will finish in the premier league i was trying to get a sense of of whether there's renewed optimism having had a break uh so There was 1.7% of people out of 347 voters who thought Forest would finish in the top seven. So, you know, you're gonna have a great Christmas. Um, there's eight to twelve, um, eighth to twelfth position got five point two percent of the votes. Eight point one percent of you thought that forest would get relegated, and eighty-five percent of you said that forest would finish in thirteenth to seventeenth position. And I think you know, panel, we've already discussed this. I don't think there's a huge amount that we're going to add. The last question was, um, what do you think, revisiting a theme that we talked about earlier, what do you think about the forest gaffer, Steve Cooper? So the choices were, I adore him, I like him, he's okay, and I don't like him. He's okay, got 4.4%. I like him, got 16.3%. I adore him got 78.4% and there's obviously a couple of Derby fans in there because I don't like him got 0.9%. So there's no accounting for taste is there. Um, on that topic, I had said uh, previously that I've written a piece for the observer, which is going in their kind of their halfway point um, article on new year's and um, I mentioned in there that basically Steve Cooper either really loves the club or he's the finest actor since Laurence Olivier. And I just want to play this clip um, of of Darren Fletcher, the uh, Five Live and BT Sport commentator, um, talking at an event by the Evening Post. You could go anywhere in the league. Man City got Pep Guardiola, but the fans don't feel about
0: Pep Guardiola, what you feel about him. And Pep Guardiola doesn't feel about the Man City fans the way that he feels about you. This is, this is absolutely unique. I know that, I know that you know that. I'm glad that the owner's seen that. I know that the chairman knows that. And I think it's what's gonna carry this club a long way. Everything about this relationship is genuine. And if I was an outsider looking in, I'd say, no bull, that's not happening. But because I live in the city and I see it, and I see it from both sides, I know that it's real. And
2: I mean, Stephen that that neatly sums up what we were talking about earlier doesn't it that that beautiful relationship the fact that we absolutely adore steve cooper um that is something that can really hopefully carry the club a long way because he loves us as well
0: yeah there's that real bond isn't there between cooper and the fans and you hope that that keeps him at the club for as long as he wants to stay as Forest manager and likewise that the fans stay with him, even if things are not always going to plan and we're having tough runs of form, which has happened already this season and could well happen again before the end of the campaign, because that's the premier league for you. And when you have a club fresh to it, like we are, you've got to ride out those, those tricky spells. And hopefully Cooper's got that, that goodwill in the bank and that, that love from the fans, which, will allow it to happen it says a lot as well. When you've got an incredible team like man city with brilliant managers, such as Pep Guardiola. And there isn't that, that love and that bond between the, the manager and the fans. When you consider all the trophies he's won for them and has arguably put together the best team in the club's history. It just shows you, doesn't it? That, that, that how those bonds can be formed between club and manager and that, that, how special it can be when it when it is there and then we've got to really make the most of it and uh, and enjoy every second
2: and and Callum because this is your first podcast I want to give the last word to you um in your lifetime as a Forest fan in your 20s you know where would you rank Steve Cooper in terms of all the many 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 Forest managers you've seen (laughs)
1: <laughs> Number one by far. Um, seen some, seen some, some bad ones and seen some okay ones. And I mean, in my lifetime from from watching Forrest, I think the closest was probably Sabri Lamucci, maybe as well. So I'm a bit of a spring chicken, but. Um, but yes, Sabri
2: got it as well, didn't he? Sabri really yeah. understood the history and the and the kind of the values that the fans and the club have historically had. And, and even though he fell short, you know, when we famously capitulated, there's still a lot of people who had a lot of love for Sabri. So it shows that connection between fans and Gaffer can be really massively important, doesn't it, Callum?
1: Yeah, exactly, and the comparison with Man City as well. It can be there's different levels of success, isn't there? To to Man City winning the Champions League is what um, getting to the Premier League is like for us. Except, like, I think that our desperation to get there after so many years is even more important than that. And I always talk about like Liverpool can win as whatever they want. Um, they can win the League Cup and the FA Cup and the Premier League. It will never really compare to getting us to the Premier League, I don't think, in my opinion. So um, it will take, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it will take a lot to kind of take Steve Cooper off that pedestal now. Um, He's the best since Clough, in my opinion. And um, Darren Fletcher summed it up perfectly.
2: Um, We love him. He loves us. And uh, he's the man. Mm. Thank you very much, Callum. Thank you also to Adam and to Stephen Topless. Um, I mean, just to, to sum up there what you said as well, Callum, because this is our last Forest Ramble podcast. We're going to have match reports coming up. This is our last Forest Ramble of 2022. So let's just remind ourselves, we'll always have Wembley. I want to also say thank you to Jeremy for the sketch. I want to say thank you to the 1865 podcast who you probably heard um, ferreting around in the background as our producer today and most of all thank you listener for joining us. If you're feeling in the Christmas spirit and want to give us a gift, the best thing you can do for us is to share our podcast via social media, tell your friends or leave us a review with a lovely comment, especially if you use Apple Podcasts and um, we really do appreciate it and help other fans. Family- to find our stuff, we'll be back after the Blackburn match, and we'll be bringing you match reports like the rest of the season. And we hope that you will join us. You could have had um, my name sounds very similar to a uh, a global explorer from the Middle Ages. So now, none of you lot did any history at school, obviously.